Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to say is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain and I've said a lot of things. And- I'm never going to get tired of that class. It's, it's really good. <laughs> It becomes more and more salient every time Todd. <laughs> it does. He's uh, he's good for the intro. He is Donald really is. Good for yeah, it. he's good for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. Cheers. Thank How you doing, Phil? I'm great. Oh, thankfully we don't have to deal with the uh, the the Facebook component this week, so it's a little bit a little bit easier. It only took us half an hour to set up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get to look like a slob again too. Yeah, that's right. Nobody's watching. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the boys again. Um, Nick, Bill, and uh, and Phil. Um, yeah. Should we, uh, you know, maybe we should point out we should do our plugs and say, hey, you know, uh, Facebook and Twitter. I was Twitter. trying to say that, yeah, and, and then the words left me. I at Barstool um, Politics yeah. uh, on Twitter. We are at Barstool Paul P O L. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are posting all of our beers on Untapped now. Uh, and actually, oh, yeah. speaking of our beers, Nick and I are join, uh, enjoying the uh, number one rated beer in all of Beerlandia in 2015. Uh, Hetty Topper, uh, which is uh, a friend of mine uh, f- who was out in v- Vermont this summer, brought it back. Uh, Ken Jennings, and uh, it is—it's uh, a double IPA. And in about half an hour, we can review it. Yay! <laughs> oh, um, yeah, busy, busy couple days. It to, was, to say the least. It kind of, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, much like, much like the hurricanes, right? Um, but right. Um, which we'll talk about later. Which we'll yeah. also talk about. Um, it did. It did feel like it was a sort of a quiet week in a lot of ways even though there we have a long list of like big stories yeah i i think we're uh, again we talk about the uh the the numbness and and being in, yeah in in the prison of our own making and kind of getting used to it so uh and a lot did happen yesterday and today so the, you know this yeah. week's news are really being driven by uh by what happened in the last couple 24 48 hours yeah that's definitely. true uh so should we start with uh daca <laughs> I think so. I think so too. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, I, you know, so those of us uh, who have been, haven't been following this on Tuesday, uh, Trump sent out, and I think this is important that he sent Jeff Sessions out to make this announcement. Uh, and I don't know if you guys seen. So, uh, Stephen Colbert has described or is, is has a title for Jeff Sessions that is uh, he refers to him as the Attorney General and a forest gnome whose riddles are kind of racist, <laughs> which I think is just a brilliant way to describe. Uh, Jeff Sessions. But so on Tuesday, Trump sends him out to explain or to announce that the uh, he the administration is going to abend, uh, end the Obama-era program of shielding individuals who were brought to the United States as children, as illegal, uh, undocumented workers or un- undocumented uh, individuals, uh, these dreamers. Uh, and this is this is a, a big deal, right? It's, um, it's uh, a process of phasing out quote unquote over the next six months six correct? months right and while they give time while they give congress time to create legislation on the topic and you know attempt to save the dreamers right so yeah trump said in multiple tweets which which in some ways contradicted each other but that uh he's going to give the congress six months of phasing this out and then hopefully they'll fix it so mm. um although jeff sessions in his remarks 
was not at all advocating a fix. Uh, he was pretty clear in the fact that uh, the Dreamers need to go home. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Jeff, yeah. Jeff Sessions, yeah, that would make sense. That's uh, that's a topic in and of itself, talking yeah. about the Republican Party, which we can get into. So I guess to start with the question, why would he pick this battle? I mean, so he's had a couple weeks where he was uh, allied with uh, neo-Nazi groups. Then he was pardoning Sheriff Joe. And did he this week just say, like, hmm, it's been a couple quiet days. Let me let me kick out a bunch of, uh, you know, children dreamers. I think things have settled down enough. Let's throw one more at him. I, this, it just seems terrible. Terrible timing. It, it is kind of strange. I mean, he has in the past, it, 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 I mean, he hasn't taken, like, hugely firm stances on it. But he, he doesn't, in the past, he hasn't been opposed to this. I mean, is this just him reaching out to his base again? I mean, is this another one of those where he's afraid to upset the base? Is this that is this people within the administration that have sway over him? There, I don't, I don't have a good explanation. Do you have a theory? I, I do think the base is it likes the fact, and the Jeff Sessions base really likes that they came against this. And in the campaign, Trump was angry that Obama did this through executive order, had gone too far on this. Correct. But he over and over said that he loves the Dreamers, Nick. He loves the dreamers. So. He loves the children. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> so it's a weird thing where he's, and even his comments yesterday, uh, he went back and forth. So Sessions had this fairly hard line. And then late last night, Trump tweeted out, he said, Congress now has six months to legalize DACA, uh, something the Obama administration was unable to do. If they can't, I will revisit this issue. Hmm. What, what does that mean? I mean, he's saying we're going to phase it out over six months. Uh, Sessions is saying this is this is done. Um, so I, I'm not sure where where we all stand in this. Yeah, I don't know how he could physically revisit it. <clears throat> that implies <clears throat> executive action, which would completely throw any sort of right. policy that he's coming up with out the window. And he'd be, well, I mean, they're already calling him a hypocrite. But Well, he's not afraid of doing things through executive order. Right. So in this instance, it appears that he's saying, well, I don't like that Obama used an executive order for this, so I want this to go through the Congress. But, he, he but that was him. Right. So nobody yeah, liked him. I mean, so the, there's the there's the issue of the you know the implications of this policy. But the logic that they have used to justify this is um, problematic. <laughs> so I mean, the, a lot, number of people have pointed out the contradiction or the the comparison or the juxtaposition of this with the um, well, certainly, I mean. The, the Arpaio stuff where yes. you have, you know, that he's he's basically saying my hands are tied by the law while at the same time pardoning Arpaio for not following the law. But the, the more interesting contrast, I think, is in the discussion around the um, travel ban in which his argument that the administration's argument, their legal argument was essentially that on immigration issues, the president has essentially unlimited discretion to do whatever he believes is necessary for the security or the benefit of the nation. And and what they're arguing here is 180 degrees. I mean, it's the exact opposite, which is there. He's basically arguing my hands are totally tied. Like, even if I want to do something about this, I have to abide by the law. Right. And so it, it's a weird and I don't know if that will come back to haunt them. That the fact that they've made these two very different legal arguments, if that will haunt them in courts eventually. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not there's not a whole lot of logical consistency here. It's it is. I think, as we suspect about lots of things with the Trump administration, um, it, it is a, an argument of convenience, right? It works in this case, so they're going to use it. And they're saying, making the argument that this is unconstitutional, but there was no justification for why it was unconstitutional. 
And it may be right. I, I, I don't know whether this would where this would fall on the line. And they've argued that uh, the travel ban is something because it's security related that would fall within the executive branch, whereas this would not. Now, I've heard other arguments that the way the Obama administration did this, it, it's it's really a case by case situation. So they argue this isn't a blanket policy. They are reviewing individual cases. And these dreamers, I mean, let's be honest, these dreamers are they're good people, right? There's like 0% of criminal activity. Most of them have gotten educations. Uh, they're doing. They're in good jobs. I mean, so this is a group that most people, both the Democrat and Republicans, empathize with. So this is not particularly popular mm-hmm. other than with Trump's base. I, I was surprised at the numbers about how popular DACA is, like the, the, the percentage of people who support it um, or who are opposed to ending it. Um, yeah, it was it was it wasn't just a Republican Democrat switch uh, split, which was surprising to me. And that's been a shift because when you go back when Obama first did this, it was a fairly partisan issue, right? Mm-hmm. But the the fact that you're talking about children who I guess the average age of them who've been brought over is 6, right? So they basically all they know is growing up in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so some of them if you talk about deporting them, you know, they're going back to a country that they've never known. Correct. Um, so in just, just in terms of the optics of this, this seems like a really strange, or I guess it's not horrible. A, you could not have picked a, a worse topic. <laughs> if you're talking about immigration in general, right. it's such a, there, there's no good reason to do it, especially at this point. I, I, I If you're talking about it from a legislative, um, you know, civil, naturalized citizen rights standpoint, completely agree that if you're talking about the rights of 800,000 people that are in the country, yeah, Congress should probably be the defining factor in making sure that their civil rights are upheld, not an executive order or action that could be upended like it is right now. So in that situation, and in this particular instance, I don't necessarily disagree that it should be kicked to Congress. But your timing is so horrible, dude. Like, why? Think about once you start kicking these dreamers out, the optics of that, right? The right. fact that you're right. you're tossing these people back to country a country that they really don't know. And I don't really think I there is no part of me that thinks that he thinks that it will get to that point. Congress will have to do something because mm-hmm. it will be so horrible if they don't that it's complete suicide for the Republican Party. But hasn't Congress been kicking this around for 15 years and been unable to do anything? Right? I mean, so that's yeah. the thing. I don't know. Six months. To try to address this, I don't know if that's enough time. I think they're going to have to. Well, <laughs> well th- this is one of those things where, I, again, these divides that have played out in the Republican Party become interesting because mm-hmm. I think the broad Republican Party, I, I think, is on board for immigration reform um, and and this sort of policy. But you have some of the more conservative or more extreme members that have the ability to essentially hold this up. And so that that's where... Um, yeah, trying to get some sort of consensus on it will, will be the challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they're talking about full-on civil war between mm-hmm. the different factions in the party. And the fact that you you took a topic that, once again, is showing major divisions within the party, and that could exacerbate it to a, a horrendous degree when it didn't need mm-hmm. to happen. Right. Well, you're, you're seeing that divide... I think between Trump and Sessions. Mm-hmm. So Trump is showing that he loves the dreamers, that he's and he gets that there's this is politically dangerous. Sessions, so in his comments yesterday, this I like this quote, uh, describing the dreamers, quote, this does not mean they are bad people or that our nation disrespects or demeans them in any way. 
it means we are properly enforcing our laws, right? Yeah. It's very, and so it's it's incredibly cold-hearted. I, uh, it is, but I, I, and again, we talk about it every week. You can see how members of the base can totally get on board with that. It's the rule of law. We have a policy in place. There is no reason that this should be happening at all. It was done without the consent of Congress, done by uh, executive action. They had already failed from a, a, a bipartisan filibuster with, was it the DREAM Act? Mm-hmm, prior mm-hmm. to the executive yeah. order. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I can see the standpoint of someone who supports this kind of action, but it's, I, so, it's, so, it's, so, it's so mean. It's, well, it's so it, mean. It is. I mean, in in a broad sort of abstract theoretical approach, I totally understand the, that people are arguing that, you know, we, we can't have open borders. We have to have rules on immigration and we have to have if you're going to have rules on immigration, you have to enforce them. I, I, I get where people come from on on that side of things. But it, it is a, of all the sort of all of the immigrant groups that you could attack. Right. Yes, exactly. It is, a, it is a, uh, you know, on on a when you get past the abstract theoretical and down to the actual, you know, concrete what's happening, you're talking about. Yeah. People who are now in their 20s. Right. Who were brought here as children? Who you're sending home? It's not these aren't like they came here when they were six and they're seven now and they're getting sent home to their grandma or whatever, right? These are people who have known the right. only America their whole life. Yeah. This is in some ways the American dream, right? This is the fact yeah. that they're following the rules, they're not violating the law, uh, they're they're getting good jobs, they're you know they have they are assimilating in a way, and you're going to toss them. So yeah, which it just seems to me that Trump he just keeps making bad decision after bad decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, let's play devil's, devil's yeah. advocate at this point. So if there is some sort of reform that's passed through Congress, bipartisan or not, um, that allows the dreamers to stay, what does that say about amnesty going forward for illegal immigrants? Is there a good way to make that cutoff between this group and another group who's fairly similar but not necessarily part of this individual group? It's a great question. I think that's the term amnesty that's being used by those who are against the Dreamer Act, right? To say that this is basically a backdoor way to get to amnesty. Right. Uh, although, if you're going to grant amnesty, this is the group to do so, right? And say, I mean, this it's not easy to fall into this category. You have to have basically a spotless record. So it does seem to me that this is a a, a fair point to, or a fair place to draw that line to say. You know, if you were brought here, it was out of your control. Your parents brought you here. You were raised in the United States. You have no criminal record. That seems to me like a place mm. where you start. Uh, well, and, and this is where it becomes sort of a, a double gut punch or a double screw you. Because in order, I mean, these these are the people who, you know, they were brought here. You know, they weren't the one to, to choose to come. The, this DACA goes forward. In order to qualify, you had to come forward exactly. and answer all sorts of questions yeah. and provide. So they have... In that sense, they have followed the rules and tried to participate. Mm-hmm. And now the government has like has all of their information, right? So in, in some ways, they're the ones who are being punished more than if you had not participated, right? If you had said, screw right. that, I'm not turning my information over to the government. Mm-hmm. I'll just continue to be here illegally um, ar- you know, around the rules. So so it's like a doubly so it's, it's unfortunate that these are the ones who are being um, punished. Well, yeah. And if you look at the corporate world has been pretty clear that they're not happy with this. So no. uh, uh, Apple's come out. Microsoft. Microsoft. Microsoft said they're going to have to go through them to get these people. Right. I mean, in higher ed institutions are coming out saying that we're not going to comply with this. I mean, so this is you're getting so much bad press. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, it's 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 a really curious well, choice. I mean, bad press, you know, clearly nothing sticks at this point. So no, that's true. Matter. You think about what what <laughs> Trump has done. Uh, yeah. yeah. Although Phil, did you sent something saying that his approval rating is the lowest it's ever been? Yeah, I think thirty six percent. There was a new poll that showed that thirty six percent approve. It wasn't approval. It was it was viewed him favorably. Um, which put him like the lowest of uh, it was the lowest since this sort of survey had been done. Um, but he's still polling six points above Hillary Clinton, who has a 30 percent. Well, should we transition or anything else we want to say about DACA? Um, no, I, I mean, I think we're all pretty much we're, in agreement on this yeah. with some varying shades. But we're, it's just such a dumb move. It, it does. It, it just oh, it, Go ahead, Phil. Oh, I mean, but before we sh- we should move on. But I mean, I, the, we talked about some of the crazy argument. I mean, the argument that that Jeff Sessions really not it wasn't the only argument. One of the arguments he put out was an economic argument that these people are taking American jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is also a, just a faulty argument as well. So all the logic that all the arguments they're throwing out are just they're just crappy arguments. And so, but I, I think again, it's not about logic here. This is, I think, uh, sort of one of those gut issues right it's about it's about immigration and right and wrong and whatnot to the people who are opposed to it yeah i i will say that it at least from my perspective it will be good if congress does come up with a legitimate solution that you know cannot be rescinded without further congressional action going forward absolutely for sure now if they don't though then trump has laid a trap for himself and Mm -hmm. six months from now he either has to continue moving forward with this policy of ending the program or he has to go back, right? So this is he's he's but drawn a red six line. Six months from now, he's got like that's true. Fifty-seven, fifty-eight crises planned between now and then. <laughs> so we'll probably be at war with North Korea by right. then. So it's fine. Don't cares worry about a few about dreamers it. at that point. <laughs> Speaking of North Korea, it feels I... like North Korea has crept into our big topics a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I and I was I was thinking this week maybe we shouldn't hit North Korea, and then I thought no, we have to. It has no, to be when uh, you hydrogen bomb your own country. Yeah, that's kind of a big. Yeah, yeah. So on Sunday, North Korea tested uh, another nuclear bomb, and it was their biggest ever. It was a it was a big bomb, and apparently that we're getting a little uh, yeah, I don't know what a little bomb uh, in our electrical wires. (laughs) The North Koreans are listening (laughs) in right now. (laughs) Either that or the Russian bots are here. Uh, So all right, so so North Korea tests this weapon, and in some ways, intentionally poking Trump for this, right? You know, we'd said we don't want to do this, and it appears that they're going to likely test an intercontinental ballistic missile again very soon. Uh, Trump threatened to cut off all trade and saying that we wouldn't trade with any country that trades with North Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil, we trade with China, right? A, a little. And China little. trades with North Korea. I, don't I think, think so. that big yeah. of a player, though, right? <laughs> right, right. No. So, would, that, would that hurt our economy if we had to stop trading with China? Yeah, a little. Oh. Well, China's about fed up, I think, too. So they were testing a missile defense system between uh, the Chinese mainland and North Korea right. to shoot down any missiles that could potentially come their way, which I don't know why they would. But, um, no, yeah. China's, China's had enough of North Korea. Yeah. But at that being said, they there's no way that they want to promote regime change in China, right? So, so yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, Phil, what, what are you thinking about North Korea? So I, 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 I don't remember. I, I may have said this last week or the week before, but I, I the, it, despite the this incredibly rapid progress they're making um, uh, in the past couple of months, I, I actually feel less freaked out about it than I did 
a month ago. I think maybe I've come to terms with it to some extent. <laughs> with your own mortality. You're getting used yeah. to prison. You're getting right. used to prison, Phil. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, when I step back and think about it, I think I, everything that North Korea is doing, it, it makes sense, right? We like to, to dismiss them as crazy, but from in, in terms of like an international negotiation standpoint, I mean, they're, they're doing the right thing, which is to kind of continue to push the limits. There's no reason to, to believe that, um, I mean, it's rational to continue to sort of ratchet this up. It's not rational to nuke the United States. So I'm not actually all that worried about that. Um, so I, I mean, I think I think it it makes sense that the the rapidity with which they've done this is is remarkable. Now, in response to Trump's rhetoric about um, uh, cutting off trade with everyone, right? <laughs> this is the sort of stuff that's not helpful. Um, in in the sense of, just in the sense of, you know, increasing pressure on North Korea might might make it. In fact, does make sense in this context. But when you're making threats, international threats, they need to be legitimate, right? And and when you continue to sort of throw these things out that nobody actually believes you're going to do, right? We're not going to cut off trade with China. It would be economic suicide. Um, when you start to throw these things out, it, it, it makes it so that nobody really takes any of your statements all that seriously. And what we need in dealing with North Korea is for Trump to be able to make or, you know, Tillerson or, or Nikki Haley or whoever's making these statements to be to be believe to be credible Um, and so the the kind of crazy rhetoric that we've been throwing out i don't think is helping things who i I forgot if it was sessions or someone else in the administration the the quote was something along the lines of we're not looking for the total annihilation of north korea but we have several options to do so if need be it was mattis oh it was was the secretary of defense mattis so that scared me so that was something where yeah he said we we, we don't want to annihilate them yeah but we can if we need to and so here's i I think (laughs) i think you're right phil i i believe that north korea is essentially a rational actor now I, we can we should talk a little bit about what we think their rationality is, but it does concern me, especially when somebody like Mattis is saying that well, this is this might be spiraling out of control. It might be getting a little dangerous, and we might have to look to a military a- action. And there are there was more than Mattis doing that this week, saying that North Korea. There were a number of people saying what North really North Korea really wants is war. That concerns me because I don't think yep. they want war, uh, and it's when that thinking creeps into an administration that they start thinking about, well, now it's time to preempt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when you have somebody like Trump and you have the military, and I think also it speaks to the fact when you have too many military people around the table and you don't have diplomats. I mean, the State Department is is still empty, especially when it comes to Asia. Tillerson's been nowhere to be seen or heard of during this whole crisis. It's been other people who have spoken out. They yep. had to put him back in his cryogenic chamber until he can come out. <laughs> he's, he's so sleepy. Five or six but years I, from now. I don't even think we have an ambassador to South South Korea. So, no, I mean, we so don't. all of that information is missing. All that diplomatic, like the nuances is, is missing. So you wonder whether that increases the chance, not that North Korea gets out of hand, but that the United States thinks it's yeah. time to move. Um, I, I agree. So the rhetoric about, you know, fire, whatever, whatever Trump said, Fire and Fury Fire and or whatever Fury. a couple of weeks ago. Locked so, and loaded. Yeah. yeah. So Trump has thrown out these sort of threats, but Trump does them in a very Trump way, which is that it's like at a press conference or it's sort of an off-the-cuff comment, right? Yeah. Which is a little more easily dismissed. When when Mattis comes out with a prepared statement, right, that that basically says this, I, I agree with you, Bill. That, that is much more 
concerning and much more that's to be taken more seriously than um and and you know maybe if i had more confidence in the trump administration i i would i wouldn't I could be convinced that maybe that there's something good to that, right? That you 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 are issuing this very credible threat in the hopes of getting North Korea to back down. But it's this sort of mixed signals and the way it's all coming out that that I you know I I don't know it worries me. Well, and history has taught us that as threats go by, you start to start questioning the rationality of the actor that you're interacting with, whether it's it's the Russians during the Cuban Missile Crisis or some you know any other scenario, you start to think, well, maybe that other side isn't rational. And if they're not rational, that alters your calculation about how to deal with them. And it sure. feels like some of that is going on this week, and that, that really does concern me. I think they're extraordinarily rational and pragmatic. Have you seen their haircuts? They only have 15. They're very efficient. Yes. Yes. Exceedingly but you so. Can't, you can't have the great leader's haircut, though. Well, no, of course yeah. not. That would be dumb. So speaking of which, <laughs> what, do we, what do we think? So this week there were a number of uh, articles written talking about his motivation, Kim Jong-un. And some were arguing that he was looking for deterrence, right? He basically wants to build up his nuclear arsenal so that when he goes to the negotiating table, he's set. He's got these ICBMs. He's not going to give them up, but he's going to negotiate on other things. And he will be not Libya. He won't be Iraq. He'll be somebody that has nuclear weapons, and you can't push him over. Mm. Others have argued that what he's really trying to do is blackmail so that he realizes the United States doesn't want a nuclear war. And he can use that to blackmail them, to get things, to say uh, either to help him in negotiations with the United States or maybe to decrease the number of U.S. troops in South Korea. I mean, that's been their play for decades at this point, well, threatening it, it, action against South Korea and the U.S. troops who are guarding the, uh, the DMZ. But it questions, what's the motivation? Is the motivation really to get troops out or is it just to keep the United States from attacking North Korea? Their motivation is to get bags of rice flown over there so their people people aren't starving and sure. you know overthrowing the government no that, that i think you know to get food in to get oil in yeah well i don't know what do you think though what, what is what's going through kim jong-un's head um yeah i mean i i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know i tend to think that it's i do you do you think he really thinks the u.s is going to attack him i i, I tend to think that he he this must be a negotiation tactic right to get what he wants in terms of like you're saying Nick again in terms of trade concessions in terms of reducing US troops in South Korea and Japan and and whatnot I I, I mean surely I, I think you're both I wrong <laughs> really. no I think I think what Kim Jong-un looks at is he looks at Iraq and he sees a country that was pursuing weapons of mass destruction didn't quite get there gets invaded I think he looks at Libya Gaddafi, who gave up nuclear weapons and then is toppled and ultimately killed. I think he looks at Iran, uh, who is being pressured for that nuclear potential nuclear program. And I think he says, I am I am the next one. I'm on this axis of evil. I need to have this chip before, you know, before I can actually get into negotiations. Otherwise, I'm the craziest of the bunch. They're going to come after me before anybody else. I don't think he has any of those thoughts in his head. I, 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 I think huh. in the sense of the North Korean political structure, which is hilarious to say in a sentence, yeah. um, I, I don't think that as much as we look at North Korea and it is a, it's an ant colony. They have their leader and then everybody else just kind of scuttles around, you know, Kim Jong-un or whoever is in place at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I think there is a vast um, uh, military infrastructure in place that does think rationally about these things, uh, and I, I don't disagree with most of the points that you're saying. I, I, 
I hesitate to think that that one person who's at the top of that particular ladder in what we know about the history of especially his father and then his grandfather um, is thinking anything other um, thinking about anything other than their personal gratification and how they can exploit that to the umpteenth degree from their own people. I wouldn't disagree with that. I think they see their personal survival as being part of the survival of North Korea. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree how, with that. How does developing nuclear weapons help ensure his domestic survival, though? Oh, I'm not saying that he's necessarily even uh, uh, integrally involved in that particular component. I think there is, uh, again, the, the true power in North Korea is not the, the great leader who's in charge. It's the... Um, uh, the, the uh, again the the military apparatus that's been put in place over the past fifty years or so, and I, I again I, I do think that in those particular situations they are rational actors who think that these are negotiating tactics and and um, strategic plays to give them leverage in the international community. And when we talk about Kim Jong Un or the particular leader who was in place at the time, I. I, the more that I look at them, the less that I think that they are the key decision makers in those in that process. I would say, you know, thinking about the domestic politics angle, I think the fact that he can play up America or the United States as a threat to the survival of the regime Which allows is what the country him, is founded on. Right. It allows right. them to divert all resources. It it prevents any internal dissent. Uh, from turning mm-hmm. against him, or helps to, right? He's right. got other mechanisms for also uh, quelling dissent. But I think the fact that he can say, look what the United States has done, look at the propaganda machine that sure. he has to help spread that message, Yes, uh, I think it all it all fits together. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I'll play, I'll, I'll come in and, and <laughs> I'll say, um, all these things can be true at the same time, right? Like yeah. it, it provides him an We're ability to, right. to prop himself up. <laughs> right. I know, I know. Uh, it allows him, it gives him negotiating power against the United States. And certainly you would think he would sleep a little better at night. The odds of the U.S. Do you think the so developing a hydrogen bomb and this missile technology, do you think the odds of the U.S. attacking them have increased or decreased? Despite the rhetoric, all the rhetoric, which was the, us talking about our, you know, we, we will attack if necessary. Do you think that we are more or less likely to attack them after all of this? I can't see a a viable scenario where we would preemptively attack them. I, I think it would have to be I, I, I still personally believe that they are incapable or or it's very, very unlikely that they're going to be able to um, definitely strike the US mainland and even attempt to attack Guam or another US territory relatively close to them. I can see them Maybe Japan, maybe South Korea. I, like, I, I, I don't know where it would end up at this point, but there's no good scenario for them to take such drastic action where they could then blame the outcomes or the, the reasons for their actions on the U.S. You know, I, and then I lost my train of thought. Hold on. <laughs> Last week, I would have agreed with you. This week, I think that I still think I think you're right, Nick. The chance of a, a conflict with North Korea is still very, very low. I think this week the odds ticked up a little bit. Why? Because of the rhetoric you're seeing coming out of you the United have 15 States. Fifteen seconds. Go. <laughs> because of the rhetoric. Because now we're starting to question the logic and rationality of this other actor, and I think that moves us a bit closer to conflict. And I still think there are a lot of people in the room that say it's not going to happen. We're still questioning the. 
North Korea in that situation? The, the yeah. fact that Mattis comes out and says that we may have to annihilate him. The fact that, and Nikki Haley as well. And, and Nikki Haley, right. So that concerns me a little bit. I, I still think cooler heads would prevail. But if there is another incident, which there will be, right? There's going to be multiple incidents. And this group is going to be tested time and time again. And so I, I think they still avoid war. But I think the odds of that have gone up a little bit because of some of the the changing perceptions of Kim Jong Un. I could think be, it's. I, I, do you think it's necessarily changing perceptions, or do you think it's more political grandstanding? Because that's the angle that I'm coming from. I, I think this is an administration that wants to take a hardline approach to it, or at least appear that they're taking a hardline approach to it compared to the previous two administrations. I I don't think they. I still don't think that the that their not ultimate goal, but that the end game of this would be them going. All right, well, we got to do something now, so we're just going to do it. Go. See, for I, it. <laughs> I don't know if this. I think this addresses what you're saying. I I think that in the short term, so if we're talking about the odds of the U.S. attacking, which kind of ties into this, whether the U.S. is being serious or not, I think in the short term, the odds of the U.S. attacking North Korea go up a little okay because of just because of the uncertainty and the the sort of this is all new and we're trying to sort of figure things out Mm -hmm. i think in the medium to long term the odds of the u.s attacking north korea go way down Mm -hmm. because the stakes are just too high right like i mean the stakes of war with north korea are high enough anyway but if we're talking about attacking a country you know attacking north korea pre-hydrogen bomb versus post-hydrogen bomb, even if you think you can knock out their nuclear capabilities, if you don't, right, the cost is so dramatically higher. So I think what we're doing, what we're going through right now is all of this trying to figure out what the hell's happening, mm-hmm. right? This is all, all this new uncertainty, which is why you're, you, there's we're trying to figure out if we need to take North Korea seriously. They have a hydrogen bomb. Would they actually use it? And so all that uncertainty increases the chances that something stupid happens in the short run. But I think in the long run, we we go back to a, sort of a, a level of stasis that actually, um, if we go back to what we were talking about a few minutes uh, ago, if if I'm Kim Jong-un, I actually, maybe not for the next month or two, but six months from now, I sleep better at night knowing that I have a hydrogen bomb and that that means that the U.S. is far less likely to actually attack me. He drinks a lot of imported whiskey. I'm sure he sleeps very, very well. <laughs> and sushi. He likes sushi. Does he like sushi? For the record, Phil, you've used the word stasis and rapidity in this round. We're going to start keeping a list. <laughs> yes. Well, good news, boys. I will say Trump today, uh, he had a conversation with uh, President, President Xi of China, and he said of the conversation, quote, it was a very, very frank and very strong phone call, and that pres- the President Xi agrees with him 100%. Yay. So, so that's that's gotta resolve all of this, right? I mean, yeah. let's let's play out the scenario. So we take out their, um, let's say we attempt to take out their um, nuclear launch capabilities, and we fail. Then they can nuke someone. Then there's regional or global war, nuclear war at that point. These are all, all the, bad things. Nick. All bad things, <laughs> right? So I don't think anybody is under the impression that they're they're going to go down that road. The I'm going to go on record and say that bad is an understatement. <laughs> well, no, whatever. Who's who's not going to go on this? United States or North Korea? No, that at that point, it doesn't really matter. Um, the other option is we do take out their na- uh, nuclear capabilities, or at least their launch capabilities, and then they still have the largest standing army in the world, 
and we just preemptively attack them. And then we still have a large-scale regional conflict that could escalate beyond that very, very quickly. I hope all of that weighs heavy on everybody in the U.S. administration right. to say, this is silly. Right. Yeah. 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 And the, the other part of that is that once you cross this threshold, once you know how to make nuclear weapons, like even if we take out the nuclear weapon they do have, they still know how to make more, right? right. So once they, once you've achieved that point, you have a to preemptive attack becomes not futile, but not as meaningful. Right. Correct. Um, should we should we talk about some beers? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil, do you want to start? Sure. Did I say totally? Yeah, like you I'm did. So- yeah. <laughs> it's almost as almost as good Southern as California rapidity. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I went uh, with an Oktoberfest theme today. I, I got a couple of Oktoberfest beers um, straight from Germany, both of them from Munich, actually. So I had a Polaner Oktoberfest and a Hackershore Oktoberfest, and they were both fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> really, I, it, it's my type of beer. So I, I like, uh, you know, I, listeners probably know, I don't have necessarily the most sophisticated taste in beer, but I like... Um, I don't like real heavy beers, um, but I also don't like flavorless watery beers. And so these are like, they're refreshing They're but they've, they've, they're kind of full. They've got a nice flavor to them. I, I enjoyed both of them. I liked the Polaner better. I think if I were buying more, I would go with that one over the Hacker Shore, but I would drink, um, several of, of either of those if someone gave them to me. Very nice. good. All right. So Nick and I, we've each had a heady topper from the alchemist, uh, alchemist in Vermont, uh, the number one beer in the world, Phil Barker in 2015. I tried to find this beer, by the way, um, just so I could be a part of the party. Yeah, it, it is. It is difficult to find. Yes, uh, it is elusive and brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> just what? just like you, Bill. Just yes, like you. That's right. <laughs> So this is a double IPA, eight uh, percent uh, alcohol by volume, uh, and we were talking beforehand that it's you have to. They suggest you drink it out of the can. I followed the rules and drank it out of a can. Nick was a rebel and poured it in a glass. Didn't even think about it as I was doing it, Bill. <laughs> yes. So for me, this it, so double IPA is more intense, right? Uh, it, I mean, it really at that first few sips is really really intense. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> It grew on me though. By the end, I really, really like this. Like it's a, it's a complex, unfiltered, citrusy flavor, uh, and I, I, I don't know. It, it could all be in my head, but the drinking through the can seemed to bring something out, Phil. I don't know. It was, it was. Uh, I'm drinking the Kool Aid, Nick. Did you, you did, did you try it not from the can right, in order exactly. to compare? What's where's your A/B testing on this? <laughs> I had one on Saturday <laughs> in a glass, and I like this one better. Okay. So, so what did you think, Nick? Um, it, it was good. Like you said, yeah. it was very complex. Yeah. And yeah, when you're talking about double IPAs, it's um, it's a challenge sometimes, mm-hmm. and you really have to find a good one. Uh, I, I liked it. I, I can't really put my finger on what it tasted like. I felt like it changed taste as it was yes. in my mouth. I would agree with that. I would agree, it got, yeah. It was sweet, and then it was bitter, and then it was grass, and then it was back to sweet. Like, yes. <laughs> <no>. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's good. It's not overly heavy, which I'm very, very happy about. Um, I, I can't put my finger on it. But, um, yeah, I, for, for as um, hoppy as yeah. it is, I figured it would have been higher um, 
alcohol by volume and it is it's very enough. drinkable too for a high yeah yeah uh, i love on the back of the can it says don't be a d-bag recycle this can awesome <laughs> yes so no i i really enjoyed this thank you uh ken and elizabeth jennings who drove this all the way back from vermont for us yes thank you yeah it's hey, great i'm gonna finish this right yeah now. all right um speed round phil yeah let's do it <laughs> all right nick now you are nick is now taking over the uh the responsibility of the bell. All right. Don't so, screw it up, Nick. <laughs> yes. So, okay. No, should we, we, so, and Phil, how, uh, Nick, how this works is we'll let Phil introduce the topic and then you push start. Oh, is that, is that how it works, Bill? <laughs> Thank you so much. I haven't been here for every fucking episode. Thank you. <laughs> Go, Phil. <laughs> All right. So, we, our first topic is that, uh, this is sort of a developing story, but this afternoon there was a, a story that came out, I think, from the Washington Post, um, that in, in testimony to Congress, Facebook admitted or said, I don't know if it was admitted makes it sound good. Anyway, um, they sold ads during the campaign to a, a an obscure Russian company um, who basically spent, I think, 100000 maybe, I don't remember that. I feel 100, like $100,000. Yeah. $100,000 on Facebook ads. Um, I don't know if Facebook knew about the ads or not, but they were clearly, they, it was, it was, they were ads targeting divisive issues like gun ownership and gay rights and, and whatnot. Um, so this is like one more link in the sort of Russia involvement in the election thing. And go. <laughs> this is a huge deal, right? When you think about in terms of the fact that Russia, I mean, it, it doesn't suggest that there was any collusion with the Trump administration, right? This, right. All this is suggesting is that Russia thought, hey, let's use Facebook as a way of connecting and targeting uh, potential voters. Well, yeah. I mean, what it says to me is that they are infinitely more clever than we are giving them credit for. Right. I, I think that there were so many hooks in the water of ways that they were trying to influence this particular election that it's hard to come up with a scenario where it's this, you know, clandestine, shadowy, you know, conspiracy-laden you know, plot that people seem to think was was in place, um, whether uh, from a uh, administration standpoint or political standpoint. Um, I, I also think it's it's interesting that from a business standpoint, which uh, and I think it's still the case that most people are getting their news from social media, uh, that they don't have a. A, a more robust team or a, m a more robust way to be monitoring Facebook, Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, yes. Um, where these requests are coming from, if they're doing any sort of IP searches or figuring out specifically who is attempting to do this. And it sounds like it was, they said hundreds of, of accounts, right? So it wasn't like this was a couple accounts putting ads. I mean, this was hundreds of Facebook accounts and pages right. that were disseminating this. So this is a sophisticated effort by Russia or not. I mean, by Russian companies, but clearly there's no separation between Russian companies and the right. Russian government. So right. regardless of it's, if it's the, uh, the Russian government or the uh, hackers within the uh, the the sphere of Russian influence, it's just all not good. They just <laughs> right, don't like right. us. <laughs> yeah, so, I would, go ahead, Phil. <laughs> no, over you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, was just, I would love to be a fly on the wall when Putin was like, "Should we try Facebook?" There's a couple of takes I have on this. What? 
One of which is that this is there's nothing new, right? Like countries meddle in each other's elections all the time, right? right. We have we have done this in other countries' elections. It just used to be that's that un-American of you to say that in general, I, I know, Phil. That has never <laughs> been proven at all in any way, shape. If the Russian bots went to go after Phil Barker, it's Phil Barker at Facebook.com. <laughs> Um, Phil Barker at Facebook. <laughs> yeah, apparently Phil works for Facebook. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, I mean, in the past, this was, you know, it meant like dropping pamphlets from airplanes over Italy, or it meant setting up, you know, a, a Radio yes. America tower to broadcast into other countries. And, and, and Facebook just makes it e- easier, right? Like, in some ways, this has to be, like you were saying, like, Putin's like, well, well damn, this is easier than yes. ever before. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's nothing necessarily new about this. It, that doesn't mean that it's not that we shouldn't take it seriously, right? I mean, this is this is major. They're meddling with our election. Mm. Um, you should consider it like if Russia were flying over and dropping pamphlets over yeah. the United States, right? Um, the other take on it is that this is the problem with having a for-profit company like mediate our elections, right? For us, right? Like, Facebook is like, I mean, Facebook's in this sense is, is shit, right? But they're also not to not to be blamed necessarily, right? I mean, they have tried over and over to distance themselves from fake news. and But in the end, they want to make money, right? right? And if somebody wants to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy an ad, they're going to do it. And that's, you know, that's that's problematic. But Facebook I, is, is not good right. for, in this sense. In this sense no, for, yeah. In, in the end, we're to blame. Like, realistically, <laughs> nobody should be getting their fucking news from Facebook. But you should follow at Barstool Politics. Of course. <laughs> yes. If you want to find funny memes yes. and, you know, links to legitimate news stories, which could also be fake news, but we don't know. Um, yeah. The interesting thing for me is that when you talk to, uh, there's a fair amount of Russians that you talk to who are in the United States who can't believe how convinced we all are that russia is this sophisticated actor who's doing all of these things and like no russia is a bumbling actor who has no money they're basically holding on uh they're playing a good hand or a bad hand well but you know they are they're amateurs and americans are now convinced that russia has figured everything out and russia found facebook right they must be they must be brilliant no it's the soviet (laughs) union again yes it's like that's what we're back to it's a brilliant low stakes gamble, right? Yeah. For Russia to spend a hundred thousand dollars on some ads, if it doesn't work, oh well. And if it works, hey, that's fantastic, <laughs> right. Right. right? We got Donald Trump elected. They're they're a startup. They're we, a, they're an election hacking startup. We took out ads on Facebook, right? I mean, this is not a hard thing <laughs> right. to do. <laughs> we put all kinds of fake news out yes. there. So uh, I, are we are we just about out of time on we're this? We're out of time right now. Okay, well let me just say I I I love Where's the that ring. Ding, ding. Oh, Nick, you screwed it <laughs> up. Don't look at me. <laughs> well, I'm, Nick, I might have the iPad on mute. <laughs> still, so Nick, I love the, still I Nick's love fault. The... <laughs> I'm getting Just to, to wrap it. this up. <laughs> Fix it, Bill. I love the the I, the mental image of the Facebook exec before yes. the Senate, yes. like sort of hanging his head and saying, we might have sold ads to Russia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Guys. And that's how the articles today that broke read was like facebook said i'm sorry we apparently did this we were fooled (laughs) (laughs) oh all right uh topic number two uh phil uh bill i'm sorry hillary clinton yeah so um the other story that came out today uh, that I'm sure we'll be seeing more of is that so Hillary Clinton has her book coming out soon, I guess. And there are some advanced copies that people have gotten or uh, copies of sections that people have gotten their hands on. Um, we talked about the, you know, Trump stalking around behind her last week. The, the, the thing that came out today is that 
in the book, Hillary uh, blames Bernie for. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the the terminology. I think I sent you the terminology that he had done lasting damage, lasting damage, and that he helped contribute to Donald Trump's election. Um, yeah, and, and basically what he, what, that he, he was an exaggerator, or kind of a blowhard. Yes. Yeah, In other news: water found to be wet. <laughs> he was he was an overpromiser that he was oh, making yes. promises to to the voters that he couldn't keep. All right, and go ding it. Oh, we got the ding. <laughs> <laughs> So, what's your take on this, Nick? You want to start? I know you probably have. You love Hillary. <laughs> no, I, I mean that—that's realistically is my point. The, the fact that she is coming out and saying that Bernie overpromised things and did lasting damage and helped to get Trump elected—who the fuck doesn't know that at this point? I, I think that any policy that you heard about that was coming out of um, the Sanders campaign was not feasible in a in in our particular society and the way that it is currently organized um the if you're I, I i mean there's no part of me that that um uh that thinks that he definitely didn't push some people over to um to not necessarily the trump campaign but the uh, the opposing side just because it was such an extreme standpoint on top of the fact that he's a socialist and i think a lot of people on the right don't necessarily want to be associated with that. So I, I, I don't disagree either that he necessarily, you know, may have overpromised. But I, what politician doesn't, right? Like Correct. Donald right. Trump got elected by overpromising shit, right? Like this not, is... not Hillary. No, no. <laughs> so the thing <laughs> that for me that a lot more. This just seems like a strange critique, right? Like if this is this may be true. But it's bizarre. It, to me, it comes across as her basically complaining about Hillary not getting out of the way mm. like all Democrats were supposed to. Right? Like, right. Every politician has someone who runs against them. A Bernie and, getting out of the way, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. I, you, sorry, you said Hillary. Oh, so, well, yeah. I mean, so every um, I mean, every politician, <laughs> I mean, Bernie could level the exact same thing. Right. Bernie sure. could say to Hillary that. Uh, she did lasting damage and her like the fact that she wouldn't get out of the way and let Ber Bernie win is what contributed to Trump winning. So I, even though there's probably some truth to it, it seems like a bizarre critique for a politician who runs for office against other candidates to be leveling, to basically say that the fact that someone else ran against me hmm. contributed to the opponent winning like that. That's always the case, right? Yeah. And we spent a lot of time talking about the division within the Republican Party, the, uh, you know, the the alt-right versus the more moderate Republicans. And I think what we're seeing here is Hillary saying, like, Democrats have run elections for a long time. I'm that candidate. Who's this Bernie guy coming along, pushing me from the left, right? That's that's not fair. And he didn't have the mandate of heaven like I did. Right. I was, that was mine. No, it, 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 she may be right, but it doesn't mean that Bernie didn't have the the right to do that right i mean he was he was running his own campaign and he certainly did push the party to the left and i think we will see that play out in the next presidential election maybe even the midterm elections where does the democratic party rest we, we spend too much time at this point talking about where the republicans are the democrats have the same cleavages in terms of the far left versus the more moderate democrats mm -hmm. the, yeah from a from a sort of zoomed out broad structural perspective there's an interesting um, argument here about, you know, she says, I, apparently she says in the book something about feeling like straight jacketed, that, that Obama was encouraging her to not attack 
Bernie and other people were encouraging her not to attack Bernie, um, that she was dealing, you know, trying to campaign, set up a campaign against Donald Trump while also trying to fend off this attack from the left, which is certainly a difficult place to be in. But and the that fact happens, that, right? Right. Right. The fact that Bernie was in there made her was in the race, made her campaign for presidency more difficult. There is no doubt about that. Mm. But I also think, like you're saying, Bill, like <laughs> like that's what that's why we have multi-candidate races, right? I mean, yeah. that's what candidates are supposed to do. I, so that I, I get from a large scale perspective that this could be problematic for the Democratic Party, but from a smaller scale, like this is also what keeps parties um, honest and responsive to the voters, right? It's not just the United States that's dealing with that. Uh, other European countries are also getting pushed from the extreme, from the far right and the far left. And these candidates have to deal with both the, the centrist and the extreme. So mm -hmm. this is nothing new, right? And and she didn't, I think the reality is that Hillary didn't do as well balancing that as she could have. Right. And Trump, and it was, I mean, there were a lot of weird factors that played into Trump winning, but this was something that she really didn't anticipate. So is this is this the end can for we, her? Can, yeah, can we please? Like, I really... Wait, just, the, I just want it to be done. Nick, the book hasn't even been released yet. I know, but I just want it to be done. <laughs> She's not going away, Nick. I just want her to fade. Yes. Just fade She's away. She's not going away. Nick, when the book finally comes out, a whole episode just on the book. Oh, I'm going to read, like, all of it rapaciously. <laughs> I'm going to do a book review just on my own, and it's going to be scathing. Oh, <laughs> that was the bell, right? Yes. All right. <laughs> so our third topic is uh, dealing with the Congress and uh, the September challenge that the congressional Republicans deal with. So in September, they, uh, they, have to de they have to raise the debt ceiling. They have to extend the expending so that we don't have a government shutdown. Uh, shutdown. Boy, that heavy topper was, was, was <laughs> hitting me. It's hitting me. <laughs> uh, there's the hurricane aid. There's flood insurance. There's health care for low-income kids. There's a lot of things that Republicans have to do in September. And they did basically all of them today because Trump decided he wanted to band with Democrats and say, I want to get this stuff done quickly. I want I want to raise a debt ceiling. I want to push the government, uh, government shutdown back to at least mid-December. And I want the hurricane aid all packaged together. Democrats said, we're on board. And Republicans who had said, no. Then said, "Okay, we'll make it work." Uh, and this is an interesting development, right? Whether yeah. whether Trump is now going to sporadically align himself with Democrats yeah. to push Republicans. So yeah, we yeah, Bipartisan I mean, partisan work. What? Yes, from Trump. In, in full disclosure, we we kind of put together our agenda of topics today, and this was like, a, how in the world are the Republicans <laughs> going to get through all of these issues? Yes. And then this afternoon, Trump was like, "Let's do it," and it's like all of it taken care of in one day. It's, it's amazing, bizarre. right? I, I would have said when I was thinking about this topic, I thought, "There's no way, no, there's no way." I think I would have said, "No way they get through all these things," but they did. You're right. Well, they didn't, they didn't get through them. They just said that so, they were going to get through them. them. Yeah. So they, they passed a so or they've they've agreed. So Trump has agreed with Democrats and then have some reluctant Republicans, basically, to do a, I think, six month extension to the debt ceiling and a six month spending bill for the government. So it's and three months. do what? Three months through the through December. The government stays okay. open through okay. December. I don't All know right. how far the debt right. ceiling was. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Um, and then uh, in lumped in with that was was uh, a hurricane aid for Houston and, and a yeah. number of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republicans were not happy, right? Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan were not happy about this. <laughs> and they had said beforehand, there's no way we're lumping hurricane aid with these two other issues. They are separate issues. And and yeah, so all of a sudden this happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gives the Democrats some leverage moving forward because the Republicans wanted a longer-term funding solution. Eighteen right? months, I think. Yeah, yeah. So this allow this gives the Democrats a little more leverage on things like DACA and whatnot moving forward. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. And in terms of the hurricane aid, there also was conversations to say that if we're going to do this, we're going to cut back in other areas, mm-hmm. and that just goes away. Yeah. I mean, so core issues for Republicans, debt ceiling has been a big issue to say if we're going to do this, we cut back other areas. Got the government shutdown. You know, we got to cut back uh, hurricane aid that this has to be, you know, quid pro quo for issues. And, and everybody caved. Why? Why would Republicans give in so easy on this? That's called a compromise bill. That's what you're supposed is, to do. Is that how it's supposed to work? I don't know, but I've, it heard, feels weird. I've heard tales of that. <laughs> All this yeah. feels weird, Nick. <laughs> it, it does feel sort of refreshing, yeah. this idea of like, hey, this works for everyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. do we give Donald a little bit of credit for this? I give him a little bit of credit. I, I, I mean, I as much as I think that it, it wasn't necessarily um, done from a uh, very – complex strategic standpoint so I he, do he stumbled into it no i, I think you, well i mean congress isn't doing shit we need to we need to start doing something yeah you know immediately to whatever just get get something done that doesn't involve you know russia or nuclear weapons or something like that let's or, or, do something or racism or racism <laughs> right. racism i don't think any of that legislation was racist no no no, no. not one part, there, one part of it there is an interesting sort of dual uh, there's an interesting pressure that plays out here which is that trump wants to you know wants to be able to claim credit for stuff right like he tweets Mm -hmm. about how he's passed all these laws and whatnot even though he hasn't so he would like to be able to claim credit for these things and i i think if if this is where his sort of self-interest might be beneficial to people on the left if they can take advantage of it is that if if by working with the democrats he can say hey i got aid to to um harvey victims then he's going to do it right yeah. and so uh, that's where playing to that sort of ego or his desire to to be able to kind of make a list of his accomplishments works to maybe lots of people's benefit mm-hmm. did you get uh, shifting topics just a bit did you what did you think of his you deal a minute on this topic. okay okay, okay so when he was in he was down in he was in houston right uh, yep. for a second visit i thought he was better there his, in houston was he in Houston or was he was after? I think he did go to Houston. Yeah. 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 So he went down to Corpus last week and then he went down to Houston this weekend, I think. And so I, and another win for him. I thought he did he did better interacting with the people. It was more of a grandfather Trump. The only thing I would say is that there was one where he was he was like loading trucks. It was a pickup yeah. truck and he just hands it right into the, the cab. There were still lots of... There were still lots of references to the huge crowds who came out to see him. Baby steps, Phil. He's a little tone deaf there. They at least attempted to coach him at some point. But but I will say, Phil, you would, I think last week or the week before, had talked about that sometimes Trump is impacted by seeing people. And I do wonder whether this might not have had an impact on him. Seeing poor people, seeing people of color who are really struggling with this. This, you know, whether who knows whether this will play out long term, but the fact that this got through so quickly, one wonders whether he said we're getting this Harvey thing stuff yeah. done. Well, um, I, I mean, realistically, it's an initial. Um, 
shit. No, you can finish, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so, I'm so used to it. I want to, I want to, you know, yeah, the bell's the great. Confines. Um, I mean, it's such an easy win. Like, like you can't, you know, say, well, you know, we're, we're just not going to be able to get this funding to you. And realistically, it was funding, it was under $8 billion, and the estimated uh, recovery effort is supposed to be somewhere along the lines of $200 billion. So, uh, yeah, while I, I think it's it's good and that it was good optics for him and he may have learned something from it, we'll see what happens after this initial initial run is done, uh, which will, I, I would assume, say, like two weeks, you'll be able to run through that money. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're out of time, but I think it is worth also noting, we talked about in previous weeks, that the Republicans are being dealt a really crappy hand and that the issues they would like to be dealing with, like cutting taxes and whatnot, the, the, you know, hurricanes and healthcare and all these things <laughs> they don't want to be dealing with. And they just they just keep getting dealt. You know, they, they have to address these issues. And it's, it's got to be frustrating if you're a Republican. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially for the Trump administration, who brought so they self they had self-inflicted wounds for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then finally maybe got it figured out. And then like two hurricanes in a row. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see what the next one brings. Yeah, Irma. Mm. All right, topic number four, Phil. Uh, yeah, so there are, I guess, increasing rumors. I, I I saw this in a couple of places. I think I read it in Foreign Policy, and I don't remember the other source. But there are, there are growing rumors that Rex Tillerson may be on his way out. Uh, and that... Of living? Um, <laughs> that Rex... Finishing a nap? What are you talking about? <laughs> Tillerson may be finished... Partly, at least because of his unwillingness to push Iran or to declare that Iran wasn't complying with with the the nuclear agreement and that Tillerson um, on the way out and potentially Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador on the way in as secretary of state. She's been very vocal the last couple of Mm -hmm. uh, weeks. Thoughts, Bill? Well, I would say a couple things. One, on Tillerson, I'm glad he's awake and thinking about leaving. Uh, we, we don't know that. We don't know that at all. <laughs> because he's being ousted. He, might, he could be ousted he could be mid sleeping. I think much of this goes back to the comment about uh, Charlottesville. So, you know, he was on, I can't remember what, if he, he was on one of the big three networks, and they asked him a question about his own values and the values of the United States. And he reaffirmed the more traditional values on race and whatnot. And then he said, what about the president? And he said, the president speaks for himself. And this was a big deal because he was clearly drawing a line between his own perspective and what he thinks is the United States perspective and the things that Donald Trump says. And you wonder whether that didn't needle Donald Trump a little bit. And then the Iran question is a big one because uh, Donald Trump has said when Iran comes up for review, and I can't remember, I think it's 90 days, every 90 days they're reviewing, reviewed whether they're complying. He said he wants them to be found in non-compliance. And the reality is that Iran is complying. They, they understand the circumstances, and we may agree or disagree, but within the, the narrow confines <laughs> yes. of that agreement. Within the yeah. confines of the right. agreement, which has several issues right. with the compliance right. of, yeah. Right. And, so, and Iran is doing all sorts of things outside of the agreement to cause trouble, but within the agreement, they appear to be complying. And I think Rex has said, you know, this is, we should follow this. Now, Nikki Haley has openly said Iran is not in compliance. And so Trump may say, well, I like Nikki better than Sleepy Rex. Well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's so sleepy. <laughs> Rex I can't believe Rex... I'm defending Rex. <laughs> Tillerson's statement about uh, the president speaks for himself, I think, was particularly powerful because it's the first thing he said as Secretary of State. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
so yeah, I mean, this in some ways, I, I think Rex Tillerson has been a terrible Secretary of State. I, he's done. He's just been. He's been awful through absence, right? Like he's just not done anything. Um, but this, like the the Iran deal, I mean, there have been a couple of things in the last few weeks that have made me think, well, maybe I'm not being fully fair. You know, maybe he gets 20% approval instead of 0% <laughs> approval. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the, so there's a couple of issues to this. One of which is the, the sort of, um, the, the sort of uh, revolving door of the Trump administration that's becoming sort of a pattern, kicking people out, moving new people in. Um, one of which is the, the concern over, I mean, our allies have, the other members of the Iran deal have basically said that even if the U S backs out of it, they will stick with it. And so there's the chance of us isolating ourselves further from the international community with this. Um, yeah, Nikki Haley's been, she's been, um, I don't know. What, what, what do you, do you, do you have an opinion? Do you think she's done a good job? Like, would you feel better with Nikki Haley as secretary of state than Rex Tillerson? Anybody who says that North Korea is basically asking for a whooping. Um, yeah, I'm all in favor <laughs> for Oh boy. Um, <laughs> for, I, there's there's just too much unknown about Nikki, right? That's the problem. Yeah, I, and I, I think I, and I the agree. fact that she caved so easily on the Iran situation. I mean, she has no no foreign policy experience, none. And and Rex has some, right? And I think if you could catch Rex Tillerson early in the morning after his first cup of coffee before the before morning nap, nap right you you might before his 9 a.m right nap. you yeah. might have a more traditional republican foreign policy somebody you know that you would recognize and say this is an interesting perspective mm -hmm. um nikki haley I, I don't know i'm not i'm not I'm not. I'm not enamored no. by the idea of her shifting over there. No, we don't need any more unexperienced people in yeah. positions that they don't need to be in. So, I, I, yeah. I, I like the idea of having someone in the Secretary of State position that would advocate for the State Department. I, I, that bothers me and worries me that Rex Tillerson has done little of yes. that. I, I, in these discussions where you have Mattis and other generals and whatnot, I think having a voice, a strong for, voice for diplomacy, is important. So I think Nikki Haley. Could potentially do that, which is encouraging, but th some of her rhetoric exactly. that's so yeah. aggressive makes me, yeah, I don't know that I, it, I would rather have a sleepy, quiet Rex Tillerson than someone who's <laughs> going to uh, <laughs> provoke potentially um, crises internationally with with her involvement. I will say the historical record on Rex Tillerson will not be good because he refused to fill those positions in the State Department that are vital to global diplomacy, vital to international interactions, right? I mean, he is he has willingly been complicit in Trump's pressure to say, oh, we can shrink this department. And I there's the bell. But I know I, he will not go well he, down well in history. He gets an F for yeah. sure. The question yeah. is whether or not Nikki Haley would get an F minus or a D minus, right? Like, is she an improvement or does she make it worse? Hey, man, if you get some kind of improvement, it doesn't really matter what the degree is at this point. That's That's right. At least you're getting a grade. <laughs> maybe, maybe Rex doesn't even get a grade. An incomplete. Hey, if it's not a fail, you it pass. Is. That is that is the perfect and incomplete is what yes, Rex does. Yes. That is exactly right. I'm excited about our last topic. Um this is insane. It is insane, but it's fun <laughs> insanity, Barker. All right. So our hurricanes fake news. So uh, on, I think it was a couple days ago on Tuesday, Rush Limbaugh uh, went on a fair amount of rant where he accused Limbaugh? the media of creating fake news about Hurricane Irma. 
that it was threatening Florida and this was blown out of proportion. He taught he suggested that quote these storms once they actually hit are never as strong as they're reported, right? I mean, so they're not as bad. I mean, look look at Houston, right? We had lots of oh wait, that was much worse than it was reported. What? Yeah. Uh, he went on to suggest that there was a symbiotic relationship between retailers, the media, and that they were building this up so people go out and buy extra batteries as a way of making more money. Uh, and he's not alone because Alex Jones, a podcast <laughs> favorite, has also been involved in this. For years, he's promoted the notion that the U.S. government possesses the power to conjure and control weather events. This yeah, is... it's the harp system. You didn't know that? I know yes. about that. Um, Jones's contention is that the government, or more precisely the deep state, uh, is controlling these things and manipulating them so that the it's it's a weather weapon uh, to promote the liberal agenda of Democrats. So, Phil, why <laughs> is the media and the deep state creating, manipulating, and exaggerating weather to promote the liberal agenda? <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> I... I can't even begin to wrap my head around the level of crazy that this involves. But so, so this is, I mean, those are like the extreme versions, right? Rush Limbaugh thinks that. that, that Take your time, we'll wait. That the severity of these storms is overestimated to sell batteries and, and bottled the, water. For the record, and, for the record, Irma is the most powerful storm that's ever hit ever the Ever recorded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the second most powerful ever recorded and the most powerful ever in the Atlantic. Um, and it's got a bullseye on Miami at this point. It, 185 mile an hour winds. I mean, this is this thing is, it's terrifying. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that... <laughs> I mean, Alex Jones is like beyond crazy that we could control this, that, that if we could control this, that we are somehow not like <laughs> I would like to think that we would have a massive typhoon headed for North Korea right now if we could right. actually control this. Um, but there are also, you know, sort of conspiracies about uh, overhyping the weather events because it contributes to a narrative about global, you know, about climate change mm. and, and whatnot. I, I mean, I, this just reveals the deep level of cynicism that Americans have about politics, right? And about each other, right? The, the, like the willingness to believe really anything if it confirms your worldview is terrifying. That's more terrifying than 185 mile an hour winds. Nick. No, please go ahead. I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to compose <laughs> no, I, coherent thoughts and it's, it's take a minute. I think you're right. It's demoralizing, Phil. The idea that we had, you know, the hurricane that hits Texas that is drops more rain than, I don't know, the history of rain I, in Texas I have to throw this out just while yeah. you're saying this because I found this statistic unbelievable. I saw an article this week that said that the crust of the earth sunk two centimeters in Houston because of the weight of the water. Like, that's how much rain fell. That's crazy, right? I mean, so we have that one week, and then next week we have the most powerful hurricane to ever hit the Atlantic. And we're like, nah, just coincidence, you know? <laughs> not coincidence, deep state. <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. It's right. It's just that you're right. Not random that it's somebody within the government or we're exaggerating this. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you can, whatever, you can, uh, you know, kind of disassociate global warming slash climate change with these particular storms. But you might as well be saying the Jews are responsible for, you right. know, right. 
starting these hurricanes. Yeah. And it, like, it's, just, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. Yes. It's absolutely insane. And you would think when you reach this point that even Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh would be like, well, the climate's up to something. Thing, something's right, going on. So here's the thing about Alex Jones. He is a brilliant, brilliant showman on yeah. the uh, on the, the level of, you know, was it Barnum? Or Bailey, the the, the circus both guys. Bar- they were they both were together. Yeah, we'll say both of them. Yeah, that's twice as good. Um, <laughs> yeah, like and you like you you um, if you see him outside of the confines of his you know podcast and and infowars and stuff like that, he's a he's a rational human. He's, no, no, Nick. He's no, a Nick. Real, he's a marketing <laughs> genius. Have you, so, see, have you seen him run? He runs like a run. he runs like a crazy person. So wait, so wait, are, are you? Ta- I'm I'm curious about your takes on. Is yeah. he is he is he crazy? Like, does he believe these things, or is he does he know that he's saying insane stuff, and he just knows that that gets him ratings? Like, I think what, it's what a you take combination is combination of the two. I think he yeah. believes some of it, and I do think he believes a lot of the deep state stuff. Yeah, I think he really goes off the edge when you're talking about global warming and the harp system and controlling weather and that bullshit. And he knows <laughs> it drives people into a fucking frenzy. And I think it's hilarious because people listen to this shit. I think, he, I think he's all in. I think he believes what he's saying. And what I was asking about, whether you've seen him running, he went out to Seattle and he did this little show where he was trying to interview people from Seattle and ask them. And they all knew who he was. And of like, course. they all like, Call him names. They yell at him. One guy like flips him off and runs across the street. And Alex Jones, you can tell he's so mad. Like he races after them, and he's a big guy. He's got muscles, but man, that I could beat him in a hundred. That's saying something. Yes. So no, I think he's. I think he buys into this stuff. I think he's too far gone with the conspiracy theories. So the, the fact that I, I hear the bell. No, but it's no, our last topic. Yeah. The fact that there's a crazy person out there who believes this isn't what disturbs me what disturbs me is that there are like hundreds of thousands of people who listen to this radio not and and they don't hear him say this and say well that guy's crazy i'm not listening to him anymore they like it's it's that he has control like he has the power to sort of shape how people think about this stuff but people have to think this way or be willing to believe this about the government before they would listen in the first place and that is a testament about our sort of civic culture and what we think about the government, about each other, that's, that's disturbing and really frightening for like the future of politics in America. Well, that's the thing. I, I, it, from my perspective, I don't think that there was a time that these people weren't out there in the numbers that they're, that they exist right now. We've just given a platform to every single person in the country and pretty much on the planet like, us. like we're doing right yeah. now <laughs> to spout this fucking bullshit that, yeah. and it and, and it just exacerbates this thing that was kind of there you know people thought about but now they can hear it every day every moment of the day and it just reaffirms what they think and that's really that's the scary thing and, for me and and the part that we didn't talk about is how incredibly dangerous it is to be throwing this sort of rhetoric out when you have the second 
most powerful hurricane in history headed towards Miami, right? So if you're in Miami right. and you're a Rush Limbaugh fan and you hear Rush Limbaugh say that these are all overhyped, they're never as big as they are when they hit, they're just trying to get you to buy water and you stay at home and you die, yeah. right? Like this yeah. is, it's actual lives that are online on the line here. Well, bottled water is very lucrative business. I don't know if you've ever looked at the financials. <laughs> it's of it. true. You probably looking at it. You know, Absolutely it, true. I, I agree with everything both of you've said. I will say I'm, there's, I get some hope from both of them because you're you're absolutely right in your assessment of him and i think if alex jones could get millions and millions of listeners our podcast has to have like you know we we've got to get to at least like a thousand no bill we're two <laughs> rational people we need to just start spouting bullshit the crazy this was the crazy that really drives up the listeners of course yeah. you don't do it with normal normal thoughts uh, and ideas nor- so. normal people have Normal people have better things to do with their lives than listen to podcasts. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, Shout out to all our abnormal listeners. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Send us emails. <laughs> oh, at barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Um, Actually, I will say we got an email from a, a listener this week who said that she enjoys when we reference books and would like us to create a, a page or, or post the books that we reference online. I think it's a wonderful idea. So we... I don't know how we do that, but we should do that somewhere. Okay. On uh, either on Facebook or on Twitter or something, we should have a running total of the books and fancy words that Phil uses. Fan- so. We're totally gonna <laughs> yes. make some sort of list somewhere. Rapidity. Rapidity. Yes. <laughs> stasis. Yeah. Stasis. stasis. Yeah. Yes. Um, any? Th- I, I mean, we're yeah. we're at time. We're 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 pretty much at time. Any yeah. any final thoughts? Hope to see you guys next week. I hope we're not in war with Korea. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, oh. uh, plugs, again, if you weren't here for the beginning of this, I'm not sure why you wouldn't be, but whatever. Um, in case you're tuning in. In case you're just tuning in, do this thing that's recorded every week. Um, yeah, you can find us on Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics. Um, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Um, you can send emails to us, uh, BarstoolPolitics at Yahoo.com. Um, you can find all of our beers on the Untapped app. Um, we put those up there every week. We'll probably put them on Facebook as well. Um, anything else that I'm. I think you got saying? it all. Yeah. Phil, anything from you? No, not at all. I'm good. Um, God, I feel like there's something else that I'm missing. I think but we're I don't care at this point. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, yeah, well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers, Cheers guys. Yeah.